For the past uh, couple of weeks, <clears throat> I've been meeting with uh, Brother Bill, and you know he's just a phenomenal storyteller, and he's a, he's a phenomenal preacher, and I've asked him to mentor me and disciple me in that. And, you know, he took mercy and pity upon me and, and agreed. And, and for the past couple of weeks, we've been meeting, and he's just been bestowing on me all of his knowledge and experience, and it's just been a very fruitful time for me. And he's not here today, um, and, but I wanted to, to let him live here in spirit today. And I, I've come to realize that he seems to really like word association. You know, it seems like for the past several weeks, he's always done it at least every other week to where he'll say a word and everybody says the word that should go with it right back to him. So I thought that, well, he's not here, so let's continue on that and uh, carry on that tradition that he seems to, to start. And uh, so I'm going to say a word, and then you're going to say what should go along with it. Peanut butter and bananas. Wait, no. <laughs> Now, see, in our household, we don't, it's peanut butter and banana. I mean, it's, uh, so y'all got that wrong. Sorry to tell you all this, but uh, let's try it again, okay? Let's, let's try this again. Cowboys and Dallas. <laughs> y'all are failing so bad. Man, I thought that was going to go a lot easier. No, I'm just kidding. Seriously, I mean, in my house, it's peanut butter and bananas, and uh, I'm from Texas, so it's always, anytime you talk about a cowboy, it's always going to have Dallas right along with it. Uh, but the word that I really want to bring out, uh, do association with, is, is the image of raising a white flag. What does that represent? Surrender. And there's something, I mean, it's, it's powerful to think about this one token, this, this, this symbol that represents such a large act. And it's not just the act. It's not just what it is that you're, that person is doing by taking and physically extending their arm and waving a white flag, which can be any type of fabric. Really, it doesn't have to be, you know, we think of it as flag as in geometry as the shape of a square or rectangle. But really, I mean, you've seen it on TV where they'll just rip a shirt, anything that white. And that they can wave for their opponent to see. And it is a, it's a symbol of their orientation of their heart at that moment. And you have this white flag that somebody is declaring for their opponent to see, waving it vigorously. And that, that's, that is a symbol showing that I'm submitting myself to your authority. I'm coming before you, I'm laying down my arms, I'm no longer an enemy combatant, yet I'm coming to you, bearing my all, completely in submission to you, at your mercy, for your will to be inflicted upon me. And that's really what the white flag is representing and I, being a veteran, uh, is, is, I should not admit this, but I, I didn't even think about this week being Independence Day week. And you know, this week we're actually celebrating July 4th, which is where we declared our independence from a, a, a foreign country. And, and this is the week that we celebrate that act. And so in any, time, any type of independence, there's always warfare. And this message goes directly with independence. It's just we don't typically think of surrender. Why? Because we're America. 
You know, we don't like to think of surrender. Nobody likes to think of surrender. And, but that's what I wanted to draw out from this week, that as we declare our independence, as we are celebrating our independence, we are simply and wholeheartedly declaring our dependence on the one true king. And that is what surrender truly is. This passage, um, it was one that I started reading through, and it was, it was one of those moments, I don't, I don't do this, I don't just open a book and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to read? I, you know, <laughs> because sometimes I might end up in Leviticus, and uh, then the next thing I know, I'm reading about portions of fat to be offered up, and then I'm like, okay, I don't understand what that's about. And so I try not to just open the book and say, all right, Lord, what do you got for me? So, but I, I, I had a moment to where I, I, I did. I just opened the book, Second uh, Samuel, and I love Samuel, and I was reading through it, and it was in the very beginning of this chapter, and the God really revealed to me a character, and his name was Abner. And now Abner was the cousin of Saul, and he was actually the commander of Saul's army. And this is a, it comes in, and this is the point after Saul's death, and Abner has, he's a very influential man. He's a man of power, he's a, a man of prestige, and he has aligned and, uh, all of Israel with him, because he, he wants to maintain Saul's kingdom and keep uh, a member of Saul's family on the throne. So we're going to be working through uh, the second chapter of 2 Samuel and a little bit into the, sec- or into the third chapter. Uh, so I'll be hitting a little bit of all through there, but the, the main passage that we're going to be focused as it is in your worship guide is uh, um, verse 17 of chapter 3. And so just mark that, flip the page over uh, one page before that, and I'm going to read in um, chapter 2, verse 1. After this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up, David. I'm sorry. And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam and Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men and were with him, everyone with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Let me pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. God, I just pray that as, as this message comes out, that it comes out truthful, it comes out clear, and it comes out um, pricking the hearts of everyone in this room, myself included, as you know, as you have done these last week is through preparation, God, to where we are just standing in awe of you, open arms, empty hearts, just willing to be filled with you, with your spirit, God, and I just pray that you'll just bless this message this morning, bless our time together. Uh, bless this congregation, this church, Lord. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So here it is, you have David. And uh, David has asked the Lord, where do you want me to go? You want me to go up? Where do you want, what city do you want me to go up to? And, and God says, go to Hebron. So here it is, David goes up into the city of Hebron, and the tribe of Judah comes and anoints him king. So now you have the rightful king that has been Uh, anointed and placed as the king of a very small territory within the kingdom, 
Now, Abner has, like I said, he has established uh, another member of Saul's family in the throne, sitting on the throne. His name is Ishbosheth. That's a mouthful. It took me about three days to be able to say it clearly. So uh, don't make fun of me if I end up stumbling over it at some point or another. But Ishbosheth uh, was a weak willed man. He uh, was placed into power by Abner, and really, Abner stayed in control. He was in control of the kingdom. It was just through uh, the throne, which uh, happened to be Ishbosheth sitting on. And Abner, like I said, was a very influential man. He had uh, gained all the other the tribes, the other regions of the kingdom, and allegiance to him, and he was in active rebellion against the true king, David. But then there comes a time where there's a rift between him and Ishbosheth. Uh, he gets accused of something, and, and they end up having words. And so uh, the next passage that uh, I wanted to read starts in chapter 3, verse 8. And Abner was just accused of taking one of Saul's concubines. And it was a sign that to the rest of the kingdom that he was trying to take power and control for himself. And uh, he and Ishbosheth ended up having words. But this is a moment where you see a change of heart in Abner. So let me read in that. It starts in verse 8. It says, Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman. God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba, and Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Now you have this change of heart. And Abner has now gone from being a, a rebel, an act of warfare against the true king, to now aligning himself with the king, the true king, David. And so Abner reaches out to David and says, look, I want to meet. I want to sit down. I want to talk. I want to, uh, I want to establish you as king over all of Israel. He didn't just stop there. He actually goes to all the elders and the rest of the kingdom. And that picks up in verse 17 of chapter 3. It says, And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past you've been seeking David as king over you. Now then bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By my hand, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people from Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. The first thing I want to draw out of that, 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 that story that we kind of just did a wide span of, took a big picture of, is the different hearts of one man. And one nation. You have Abner who was in direct defiance. He was in active rebellion, as I continue saying, and it's important to remember that he was in rebellion to the one true king. And there's some of us here who today are in active rebellion against the one true king. 
It may be that you are in direct defiance to him. To his throne, to his kingdom. And as I started looking into uh, rebellion, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, World War II junkie. I love World War II history. And so naturally I'm drawn to World War II um, stories. And uh, something I found out that I didn't know of was that whenever, you know, of course we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima in Japan, and that really took Japan out of the war. It's something that needed to happen for us to be victorious. Um, but what happened was we, the, the allies um, gave a declaration. It's called the Potsdam Declaration to uh, General Hirohito, who was the em- I'm sorry, Emperor Hirohito over Japan. And uh, the emperor had met with his men, met with his generals, and he uh, met with the committee and, and informed them that he intended to actually make a recording and to surrender unconditionally to the Allies, which was Great Britain and China and the U.S. and uh, later on the Soviet Union also. And so you have uh, General Hirohito, who I keep saying General Emperor Hirohito, who was going to make this recording, and then he was going to broadcast it for all of Japan to hear. Well, the problem is, is that not everybody wanted that to happen. Uh, Japan was a very proud nation, uh, a, a nation of honor. This is the nation of the samurai, where it was honor or death. Uh, they would much rather take their own lives than to uh, show any weakness or mercy. And you had um, a major, his name was uh, Kenji Hadanaka. And Major Ken, uh, Hadanaka had actually started hatching a coup as soon as this was announced. Now, the emperor tried to prevent this from happening and actually had all of his generals, all of his leaders come together, and they had to sign a letter of agreement to this. Of course, they signed it, but some of them never intentionally to go along with it. So they established the coup, and he started trying to hatch out his plan within a matter of hours. Hadanaka had actually gone to the uh, lieutenant general, his name was Lieutenant General Takeshi Mori, and this was the guy who was over all the imperial guard. So this, he was the one in charge of all the guards, all the security within the palace that took care of the emperor. And Hadanaka went to him, trying to get him to get on his side, really. And uh, Mori wouldn't go along with it. So Hadanaka killed him, took his life, and then forged documentation to put all of his men into the positions of security within the imperial palace. Now this all happened within hours of the declaration being made. What the plan was, was for the emperor to make the recording. And he was going to record himself for all of Japan. And then they were going to broadcast it the following day. And at 11 o'clock that night, he did. He sat down and he made two recordings. He went and they uh, then took that recording, put it into an interior chamber, secured it. And that's whenever Hadanaka came in and tried... And, didn't try, they ended up taking over the palace. They took hostages, uh, they killed some of their own men, some of, their, uh, the, some of his people even said that they didn't even know why they were pointing their guns at other men uh, within their own army, but they were going to be, um, they were going to submit to their major, they were going to uh, do whatever had to be done, whatever they were told, out of loyalty. 
they searched the palace for hours, and finally at 5 o'clock in the morning, it was four hours at later after they had taken over the palace, the Eastern Army Division came and told them they needed to surrender. Well, instead of surrendering, most of them committed suicide. They never found the broadcast. They never found the recording uh, because they had actually taken it to the vault and then secretly taken it to another location. It was in a completely different province. So you have this rebel force that's in direct rebellion. They, they, they were not willing to surrender anything. They were not willing to give up on any part uh, of their lives, of their customs, of their way of life. And it was out of pride and out of rebellion. And that's, that's where we are if we're not in allegiance to Christ. If we're not in allegiance to the one true king, then we are in active rebellion against the king himself. And that was Abner's heart in the very beginning. We come in and, and we, we have on our uniforms, you know, the, our patches. I was in the Air Force for 12 years, and, you know, you have patches all over your uniforms. And those patches tell everybody else what major command you were part of, whether it's air combat, air mobility, whatever it is, that was the, ma- the MAGCOM, the major command. And then that showed what major command you were part of, and then you had your squadron patch, and that showed the smaller unit that you were attached to within that major command. And those patches signify who you belong to, who you were part of, and that if, if we are in allegiance with the enemy, then you're wearing patches that designate who you're allied with. And so... The first thing I want to point out is that if you have not surrendered, then that's really, truly where it starts. It really, truly starts at you bearing all, ripping your patches off, realizing that if you're not aligned with God, then you are aligned with the enemy. You know, there is no, there is no sitting on the fence. It is you're on one side of the fence or the other. There is no riding the fence in this. There's no one foot in the door and one foot out the door straddling the doorway. There's no lukewarm. It's all in or nothing. And so I ask you, when you look at yourself, what uniform do you have on? Who are you aligning yourself with? Charles Spurgeon um, was quoted, and it was something that uh, I found powerful during this moment whenever I was looking into this. And, you know, in, in, our, in our rebellion, we, we fight pride a lot. I know I do. Uh, Tim Privet loves a little bit of Tim Privet, and Tim Privet has to constantly remind himself that that's not who he should be loving. And it was always to Terrell Owens, he was always quoted saying, I love me some me. You know, and, and I can't stand that attitude, and yet I find myself thinking that a lot. You know, why? Because of pride. I, I find myself getting wrapped up in pride. And whenever you're in rebellion, it is, it is deeply rooted in pride. And we're, we're proud of our rebellion. We're proud of who we stand. We're proud of, even, even thinking about this nation, we're proud of the nation that we're a part of, are we not? And when we think about independence, we have that national pride. Well, if you're in rebellion against God, then you really have that national pride with the enemy. 
And let me, let me uh, read what Charles Spurgeon uh, spoke. It says, submit yourself to God. Prejudice and pride are at the bottom of your disbelief. May the Spirit of God take away your enmity and make you yield to him. For you are a proud rebel, and that is why you do not believe your God. Give up your rebellion, throw down your weapons, yield to the Lord, and surrender to your king. Surrender to your king. Some of us are sitting here and we think, well, I have surrendered. I've come to the Lord and I've surrendered to, to Christ. But I want to I ask you, because all of us uh, are guilty of this at some point in time or another, is have you surrendered completely? Are there things that you're holding on to? Are there things that you want to keep control of? Because God doesn't want you to only surrender portions of yourself as you see fit. He wants you to come to him with open hands, empty hearts, completely submitting yourself to his will. And this ties back to the nation of Israel. You had a nation that was willing to submit themselves to anoint the rightful king to a small territory, the tribe of Judah. So you had the rightful king only ruling a small portion of the kingdom. And let me ask you this. Is that your heart? Is that your heart to where you've only allowed Christ to rule a portion of your heart? A portion of your lives, a portion of your loves, your interests, have you only allowed him to have control conditionally? And in wartime, surrenders involving guns and bombs, we usually want to have conditional surrenders. We refer to them as piecemeal negotiations. A loser says, well, you got this, you won. Here's what we'll do. We'll give up this and that and this also. And you rarely have a war loser who admits, all right, we give up everything. We're in complete submission to you. It was in, the, in this interim period between World War I and World War II, uh, which was probably, I think it was less than a decade, uh, really, between those two wars, and you had Germany who actually surrendered, they, but it was conditional. And um, ace fighter pilot uh, Eddie, Eddie Rickenbacker actually went over there in this time, and during this interim period, and he toured all of Germ Germany. And what he said was he was astonished. He was actually flabbergasted to go there and see this country who had just surrendered from the first war, and they were already gearing up and ready, making themselves ready for the next that they were, their egos and their national pride had been hurt during their defeat. And they were walking him around, showing him these things, and they were bragging about this new war machine that they were developing that would be virtually unstoppable. In fact, when Eisenhower's forces finally defeated Hitler in his axis of power in 1945, it was this same thing that tried to take place, the same situation. There was a sticking point, again, between the victorious allies and Germany. The losers offered some conditional half-hearted terms, but the victorious allied forces finally 
on the position to de demand unconditional surrender. So I ask you, what is it that you need to surrender? Is it control? Is it a relationship? Is it a habit? Is it a, a struggle that you have? Is it, is it something within your marriage, relationships in general? Is it a dependency upon an item or a person? You know, we all have something that we find security and dependency upon. And so I encourage everyone here to really pray about that. Think about what is it that God is revealing to you and pray to him. God is holding me back in my relationship with you. But I always say that with a word of caution because when you pray that, you may not like what you hear. When you ask God to reveal your heart to you, reveal where your sin is, reveal where you need to, what and where you need to give over control, you may not be ready for that answer. Go through a checklist of surrender. He doesn't want us to, okay, God, here you go, have these conditional terms to where I'm ready to get rid of this relationship. Yep, it was your relationships in general, what he wants.